Think of all the demos and the presentations and the pitches that you've invested time and effort and money into that didn't go anywhere because you identified a problem that you felt that your prospect needed to solve, but that's not a problem your prospect feels. In this episode, we're gonna share a story from a book called The Power of Moments. And this story may be a little bit outside of our norm, but it has a really, really applicable message in it. Heads up, it's not for everybody. Um, It's graphic. We thought it was very powerful though because it's not related to sales. But yet, the correlation between what's going on in the story and what happens out there when you give your demo or you put too much emphasis on your presentation and your expertise or your value prop too soon is very powerful. So when you listen to this story, think about how you're using your demo, your proposal, maybe your plan, or whatever sort of value prop you think you bring to your prospects. Think about how that plays into this story as you're listening and start to think about how you're really helping to create tension for your prospects to debate making changes and solving problems. I'm Kylie Schmitz. I'm Dan Lappin, and this is Breaking Sales, a nonconformist take on rejecting the sales status quo. Join the Lappin 180 team as we break the tried and died sales tactics and techniques that are failing you and your prospects. In our coaching here at Lappin 180, we always come across the conflict of, well, what about my demo and when do I use it and my expertise and I need to make sure I tell the prospect all about my 20 years or 25 years of expertise or my presentation. We've got this great capabilities PowerPoint that marketing put together. I get it. We, we get it. But here's the thing. We're going to share a story with you right now about why it's so important from a human nature standpoint to prioritize your questions and your neutrality and how that truly helps your prospects get to the truth of deciding do they make change or not make change. All right, the story starts in Bangladesh back in 1999. It's all about controlling disease and how over a billion people across the globe don't have access to clean water. The issue was what's called open defecation. Sounds delightful. Well, as you can imagine, third world, right? No plumbing, um, no infrastructure like we have that we all take for granted. Disease is spread because of a lack of clean water. So, you know, if you're in a village and you have to defecate, guess where you go? Wherever. And guess what happens when a rainstorm hits? Ooh, yeah, not good. I'll also use one more caveat here. I am going to say the word shit because it's written that way in the book and it's written that way for a purpose in the book. And when they did this intervention in these third world countries with these villages, they chose to use the word shit or whatever the local vernacular was for it. And there was a purpose behind it because they wanted to make it real to the villagers. All right. So we're in Bangladesh. And so what happens is all these latrines, bathrooms were built. 
Because the idea was if you build the latrines, the bathrooms, it gives the villagers a safe, clean, appropriate place to defecate. And so they were going to solve the problem by investing all that kind of money in that type of infrastructure. What they found, though, is that not a lot of villagers used the latrines even after they were built. It wasn't a technology or a hardware issue. It was a behavior issue. When they would ask the villagers, why aren't you using these latrines? The villagers would often say, well, they're nicer than my house. Why am I going to go there to defecate? They had a certain perspective or perception of the latrines. And here's what was very interesting. The villagers viewed the latrines as a solution to a problem they didn't need or ask to be solved. The villagers didn't think what was going on was an issue. It's how they grew up. It's how everybody else in their family grew up generation after generation. The experts agreed their approach to the disease, the open defecation, the lack of clean water had to change. Here's why. If they wanted to reduce the villagers' biases, they were going to have to help the villagers see the problem more clearly and in a different way so they could spark ownership of the villagers taking responsibility and changing their routines. They also had to make sure the villagers wouldn't feel judged. So they had to stay neutral. If the villagers were going to feel judged, guess what would happen to the solution? It'd be rejected. So whatever they did, they had to find a way to communicate with these villagers to help these villagers see the problem from a more objective viewpoint. But the experts, the facilitators, they were not allowed to interject their own opinions and their own thoughts. They had to stay neutral. So here's how it worked. A facilitator would go to a village and in the middle of the village, they would start to gather the villagers. And as the villagers came over, the facilitator would ask them, where do you shit? That's exactly how it would be asked using the tribal vernacular, of course, but it would always be the slang. The villagers then would point over and walk over toward where they would defecate. The facilitator then would look around and he would point and ask, whose shit is this? And you can tell from the villagers, there was a little bit of discomfort and uncomfortableness to it. But the facilitator wouldn't stop there. They would continue. They'd say, did anyone shit here today? Let me see a sign of hands. And villagers would raise their hands. Again, you can feel the tension mountain. Sometimes the facilitator would go a little further depending on the situation and literally ask, whose yellow shit is this? This is getting graphic. I, I warned. <laughs> But it's from, the, like I said, I think it's a fantastic example, though, of reality. I hope no one's eating right now. The facilitator would go on, are there always this many flies? Villagers would say yes. The next step in the process was that the facilitator would walk all the villagers back to the open space, usually in the middle of the village. And in that open space, the facilitator would ask the villagers, let's map out your village. Map out the landmarks in the sand the schools, the streets, the paths, the rivers and the hills, and the villages would do it. Then the facilitator would say, okay, everybody grab a rock and put a rock where your house is. And this is where it gets a little graphic and crazy again. 
the next step was the facilitator would ask them to sprinkle yellow chalk where they shit. So yellow chalk was sprinkled in the two or three main areas that the villagers would all use to defecate. But he didn't stop there. The facilitator would then say, okay, sprinkle yellow chalk though, where you shit when it's an emergency. And so before it was all said and done, you can imagine the entire map of the village was pretty much covered with yellow chalk. Step three, so the facilitator says, can I have a glass of water? He'd get a glass of water and then he'd ask the villagers, are you comfortable drinking this water? They'd all say yes. It gets a little graphic here. He plucks a hair off his head, walks over to the pile, a pile of shit and drags the hair through the pile of shit, then places the hair in the glass of water. And he asks the villagers, would you drink this water? And all the villagers say no. The facilitator then will ask, how many legs does a fly have? All those flies that we saw. Villagers will answer six. Do those flies' legs have hair? And the answer is yes. Do the flies pick up less shit or more shit than my hair? And then the facilitator will ask, do those flies land in your food? And the answer is yes. So do you throw all the food out? And at this point, the tension within the villagers is typically pretty high because the answer is no. And then the facilitator will ask, okay, so then what are you eating? It's a graphic example. First off, I think we all have to be careful of our own biases here. You know, we're used to infrastructure that something like this would never happen. This type of conversation would never even be thought of. And we all might have the pride or naivety to think that how could something even this be even talked about? Why wouldn't they fix this? I think that's our own ignorance. We don't know what it's like to live in those, those villages, but yet right in front of these villagers was the truth. That's the extent that they found it takes to help these villagers see the problem for what it really is, but also most importantly, truly take ownership of the solution. Well, my guess is that discomfort in knowing the truth is what prompted change. As I think about this story, it's gut-wrenching. It's emotional. And in the book, it's described that way. And it's, it's done very well. But it is a tough graphic. These villagers, the truth was right in front of them. It was so damn obvious to the rest of us. We take it for granted. But they couldn't see it. Why is your prospect any different? Think of all the demos and the presentations and the pitches that you've invested time and effort and money into that didn't go anywhere because you identified a problem that you felt that your prospect needed to solve, but that's not a problem your prospect feels, at least at that moment in time, based on their current perspective. So number one, prioritize your questions. Ask your questions with neutrality and empathy. That's number two. Number three, when asking your questions, Avoid giving an opinion. Four, when you're discussing a solution, don't give an opinion until your prospect provides one first. If you do, you're taking ownership. You know, if you want your prospect to truly consider change, you're going to have to help them feel the situation for what it really is. And you're going to have to help them contemplate their future state if they don't make a change or do something different. You have to allow 
tension. And I think that's something that our listeners struggle with is realizing how powerful though tension is. These facilitators in this story, they were actually there to help the villagers. They're not there to judge them. They're not there to make them feel bad and awful. They're actually there to help them. It just so happens though that the process that they had to take these villagers through was full of tension. But that was the only way to help them take ownership and solve the problem. Dan, this story reminds me of a quote that I heard recently, which was, if you conceive it, you believe it and can achieve it. And how I apply that quote to this story, the village had to conceive this problem. They had to conceive that this was an issue. They had to also believe that there was a problem and it could be fixed. And then they were empowered to solve it. Kylie, I, I love that. Think about all the companies out there by the thousands that prioritize the demo. The demo doesn't work unless the person or company you're giving the demo to has already decided to make change. But for the seven or eight companies out there that who don't know if they should change, don't think change is necessary, or in this case, can't see the truth, the demo is never going to work. You have to allow the prospect to come to terms that there's actually a problem on their own to conceive it, like you said. And they also have to believe that the impact of a solution is going to be greater than any of the risks along the way. I get it. None of us are taught to embrace tension. We're actually taught the opposite. But there's so many times when it comes to change and doing what's right and helping people and helping people help themselves, there needs to be tension throughout it. It's just the way it works. And just to clarify, it's not tension to buy from you. It's not tension to purchase your services or your product. It's tension to recognize a problem and be willing to change it. Thanks for listening to Breaking Sales. If you want to get engaged with us outside of this podcast, be sure to go to our website, lapin180.com. That's L-A-P-P-I-N 180.com. And there you'll find information on upcoming workshops, different events we're doing throughout the United States, ways to engage with us on social media, as well as a form where you can suggest topics or guests for the podcast. We want to hear from you, so don't be shy. Kylie out. All right. Do we have another episode?